0: Hey there, everybody, and welcome to this presentation on motivating teams or families. I'm your host, Dr. Donnelly Snipes. In this presentation, we'll discuss multiple methods for motivating diverse groups, including teams, groups, and families. How to create a safe and empowering environment by recognizing and being responsive to the impact of prior traumas. How to synergize to balance individual differences. And finally, ways to identify strategies to create secure attachments and improve cohesion within the team. Let's start out with the vision. In order to increase motivation, we have to understand what people's vision and mission are, as well as what the organizational mission and vision are. So start out with a clear vision for the organization, the family, or the group. What is your purpose? What are you hoping to achieve? And then move on to developing a clear vision of how the team or group contributes to the organizational mis- mission. So, for example, in a behavioral health care organization, not every department actually provides behavioral health treatment? There's the billing department, there's human resources, there's you know a variety of different things. How does each one of those departments contribute? How are they integral into helping the organization achieve its goal? We want people to feel like they are essential. We want people to feel like they are a part of and a necessary part of the functioning of the organization or the group. Finally, we want to examine how being a part of that team or group and the organization helps each person achieve their personal goals or their personal mission. So as a clinician working in a treatment center, that helps me achieve my personal mission because it helps me help others improve their behavioral health. Well, the mission of the organization is to help others improve their behavioral health. So the nice thing there is our mission and vision are really in sync with one another. That's not always the case. So it's important to help people figure out how does being a part of this organization help you achieve your personal mission, help you be the person you want to be. Some discussion prompts or journaling prompts that you can use. What is your mission and vision, your personal one? And how does working toward the organizational mission help you achieve your personal mission? And you can rephrase that if you're working with families. How does working towards the family's mission help you achieve your personal mission or be the person that you want to be? The next thing you can do is create win-wins. It doesn't matter if you're in an organization or a club or a family, there are going to be things that you don't want to do. And it's important to recognize that, acknowledge the frustration or distress around that, and then figure out how can I increase my motivation to get those things done. And the first thing you can do is identify the benefits to the unpleasant tasks. Why are those tasks essential? in my job doing paperwork can be somewhat onerous at times so figuring out why is it important for me to do my paperwork well number one it's an ethical obligation but number two if i don't do paperwork i can't bill if i can't bill i can't get paid if i don't get paid the organization has to close its doors so i won't be able to work toward my mission Recognizing the necessary evil of some tasks is important. If you're working in a retail store, for example, uh, some people are going to have to clean the bathroom and that's not a fun job. However, why is it important to clean the bathroom? Well, you want to have a clean bathroom so your customers can use it because happy customers are more likely to spend more money and come back to your establishment. Aside from looking at the benefits, why these tasks are necessary, you can try to make them as pleasant as possible. Some of the things that they've done in organizations I've worked for have been, for example, to go back over the documentation, the paperwork, and figure out ways to streamline it. For example, taking things that used to be longhand essay answers and turning them into checkboxes or putting things that used to be handwritten onto the computer. So there are a lot of ways that you can make it a little less onerous and unpleasant. You can also combine things if you don't like doing something, you know, like doing your paperwork. What can you do while you're doing your paperwork to make it more pleasant? Can you Do it, uh, with a friend, with a coworker. Can you do it while you're listening to music? Can you, sometimes, uh, with different teams that I've worked with, sometimes it was necessary during our team meeting each week, we would set aside an hour to do paperwork and get everything tidied up and out of the way. So what can you do to make it more pleasant? And. In organizations, families, groups, there are oftentimes going to be opportunities that come up for promotions, for lead roles, to be, you know, the quarterback, whatever. Uh, And not everybody can have those opportunities. So it's important to acknowledge the person who got the position and celebrate them, but also... Recognize and help people recognize how even though they didn't get that position, they are still essential. Help them identify alternate opportunities that they can work for and maybe identify things that they can do so the next time another opportunity comes up, they might get it. Yet another strategy you can use is... Approaching your team from a trauma-informed perspective, and we've talked a lot about trauma-informed over the past five years or so, but trauma-informed is essential because most people have experienced trauma at some point in their life. Unfortunately, the statistics are pretty grim. So it's important to recognize and identify things in your organization that may contribute to people feeling unsafe or disempowered or trigger memories of their trauma that lead them to feeling unsafe and disempowered. Recognize and validate those things. Even if it doesn't make you feel unsafe, it's important to recognize if it negatively impacts the person. Empower them to identify strategies that they could use in order to feel safer and more empowered. Empathize with how they're feeling and support them in taking the steps necessary to feel safer, empowered, and more connected to the organization. Now, what types of threats might there be? Well, I like to use the mnemonic PACER. Physical threats, what things in the environment can be stressful. You know, Sometimes smells will trigger memories for people that can be threatening to them. Sometimes different sights, different sounds. It's important for people to examine what physically in their environment might contribute to stress, what affectively in their environment, what things at work might contribute to them feeling anxious or stressed out, what cognitively might be threatening, what might be communicating to them that it's not safe to have their own opinions or their own thoughts about things, what in the environment might be triggering a sense of unsafeness. Maybe they're in an environment where they're, every door they go through, they've got to use a pass key to get through. So it feels like they are uh, working in a prison, assuming, of course, they're not working in a prison. Um, what can they do to make their environment feel more welcoming, comforting, and supportive? And relationally, what things in their environment, what things with coworkers, superiors, subordinates might be contributing to them feeling unsafe, um, feeling like they're in, in jeopardy of being rejected, um, and what can they do in order to enhance those relationships? Now, your... Human Resources Department may be really good at working with this. And sometimes for people, they will also need a referral to the Employee Assistance Program. But it is important to recognize that people's past history is going to affect them in the present. And if it triggers a fight or flight response, they are going to have more difficulty staying focused on the task at hand and being motivated to come in. We want to recognize people's humanity with work-life balance. Things change. And when an employee has something going on in their personal life, they may need some more time off because being at work may not be where their mind is. So it's important to try to work with them as much as possible. Now, that's not always possible. I get that. But it is important to understand the impact that people's life is having on their work. And likewise, their work is having on their life. And make sure that regardless of what's going on in the rest of their life, that they are able to have some level of work-life balance. And each person will have to define what that looks like for them and make sure that it's a good fit with the organization. Some people, uh, their vision of work-life balance may not mesh, for example, with your organization. And it's important to make sure that you do as much as you can, but that's one of those things that is important to be aware of when people take a job. So journal discussions or prompts, um, what things do you dislike or are uncomfortable doing in your job? You know, think about those unpleasant tasks. How can you enhance your motivation to do those things? Or if you're thinking about your team, how can you enhance your team's motivation to do those things? And I I told you um, earlier that one of the things that I used to do with my teams, um, a couple of them, was we would do our notes all together. Uh, That was a way that people, misery loved company, so to speak. Um, We would make it as pleasant as possible and... We would just kind of get it knocked out while we were there. And then people would leave the meeting and they'd have a sense of accomplishment. But it's important to talk, to talk to your team, talk to the individuals and ask them, what would help you feel more motivated to get this done? And what things about your work trigger your anxiety? Why does it trigger your anxiety? And what would help you feel safer or more empowered? If you go online right now, you'll find a lot of articles about Sunday night anxiety. There are a lot of people that dread going into work on Monday morning because they're going from a relaxed environment to one of demands and expectations and stress and tension and chaos. So it's important to have each person identify what aspects of this environment are stressful for you. And... What can you do to make it a more empowering, welcoming environment? Another aspect of supervision or and, and motivation involves improving people's attachment and cohesion. When they feel a part of something, when they feel valued, when they feel accepted, they're going to be more connected to the organization, to the mission. And more motivated to do what needs to be done how can we do that well one of the mnemonics that i developed when i talk about improving personal relationships is craves consistency responsiveness attention validation encouragement and support so let's talk about each one of those my first boss was the perfect example Of each one of these things, um, he was consistent as consistent can be. I could go to him and be telling him something good, or I could be going to him and telling him that I really screwed up. And his response was pretty much the same every time he would sit there with his hands sort of in a teepee on his belly and kicked back in his chair and he would listen. And if it was good, he, then he would congratulate me. If it was not good, his response would be, all right, what do we need to do to solve that? Or what are the next steps that you need to take? And I knew that that would be his response. I knew that he would be consistent. He wouldn't fly off the handle or freak out our CEO at the time was the opposite. You never knew when you told her something, if she would take it and say, okay, let's figure out how to solve this, or if she would lay into you. And so it was always kind of intimidating to be around her because she was very unpredictable. So being consistent as a supervisor in your response to people, or even as a team member in your response to people is helpful. Because they'll feel safer coming to you if they know in general what your response is going to be. We also want to make sure that we're consistent in our expectations of one another as well as of our our subordinates. When we're trying to improve motivation, we want to set a goal and say, okay, when you achieve that goal, then... You've won, you've achieved the goal. Not say, okay, let's set a goal. And as soon as they almost cross that goal line, we move the goalposts. That's not fair. And that's very unmotivating to a lot of people because they don't feel like they can ever hit the mark. They can never cross that goal line. So we need to be consistent in our expectations. That doesn't mean we don't set additional goals. We want people to grow. But we set those goals that are manageable, that are achievable, that are time limited. So they cross that goal line, they feel a sense of accomplishment, and then they can start on the next goal. (laughs) Consistency and responsiveness kind of go together, but we do want to be responsive to people's needs. Not only when they come to us with a problem, but we want to be responsive in general. We want to anticipate what our team might need in order to stay motivated. We want to give attention to people on our team, to each other, you know, whether you're talking about colleagues or whether you're talking about subordinates. We want to give positive, proactive attention to them, recognize when they do things well, acknowledge your gratitude for their presence. Don't just give attention when it's negative. You know, you don't want to be the person that they hope is just going to walk through because you know, It's better neg- it's better for somebody not to say something because every time they say something, it's, you know, always bad. So give positive attention. Give positive feedback. Notice things. Help people feel appreciated. It goes a long way. Validation. Not everybody is cut out for every job. Not everybody is going to have a good day every day. So it's important to validate how people are feeling. You know, if I I remember there were a couple of times I got transferred to a different department because that's where I was needed. Was it where I necessarily wanted to go? You know, maybe not. And, And my supervisor was always good about validating. He's like, I recognize this is not exactly what you had anticipated, what you had wanted, but this is where I need you and this is why. And because my mission was so in line with the organization's mission, you know, I was able to fall in. I was able to get motivated to do what needed to be done. But he would validate when he would put me in a a situation that he knew was chaotic, that he, he needed me to kind of get under control, and and he would validate that this is going to be a tough job. That helped, knowing that he recognized that it wasn't going to be a cakewalk. Encouragement is important. When we have a team or when we have team members, when we have colleagues, it's important to encourage each other to do things, to take risks, to get outside of our comfort zone, to do the things that are kind of unpleasant, because... It gives us enthusiasm. It's kind of like having the wind at our back. When we're encouraged to do these things, it's great. But along with encouragement, we need support. And there's a difference. Encouragement is saying, you ought to do that. Support is being there with the person, providing emotional or even practical support sometimes. So they go hand in hand. But relationships that are characterized by these things, consistency, responsiveness, attention, validation, encouragement, and support, tend to be much stronger, much more cohesive, and help people stay a lot more motivated. A discussion prompt could be, why is it important to develop secure attachments with your team? So thinking about that, if you are a supervisor... Or if you are head of household, why is it important to develop these secure attachments? And I'll give you a hint, something we haven't talked about. When people can predict how you're going to respond, when you're consistent and responsive, they're also a lot more likely to come tell you things and be openly communicative than if you're not. Another aspect of motivation is understanding the individuals. We are all unique. And I go back to the Kiersey temperament sorter, the Myers-Briggs, whichever one you want to look at. When I think about people, because it's important to recognize that each person has their own temperament. And, And remember that temperament is along a continuum. Most people are not exclusively extroverts or exclusively introverts, but a lot of people lean to one side or the other. So it's important to understand how each person on your team, in your group, or in your family ticks. What is least stressful for them? What is their preferred situation? And the first dimension, extrovert versus introvert, this is where people draw their energy from and the kind of environments they like to be in. Extroverts talk while they think. They don't mind interruptions. They tend to draw energy from those people around them. They love being around other people. And they tend to be very aware of what's going on around them. Salespeople tend to be excellent extroverts. Introverts, on the other hand, tend to know what's going on inside them. They like to think before they speak instead of thinking while they speak. They have difficulty often with interruptions. You know, they like to have a very calm environment and they tend to get more stressed out when they are in groups of people. They gain their energy. They draw their energy from getting grounded when they've got some quiet time. Sensors versus, well, let's go back to extrovert versus introvert. You will have both of these temperaments in your organization, in your group, in your family. So it's important to recognize those people who are introverts are going to have a lot more difficulty with sales or being on the floor or even customer service, because it can be somewhat unpredictable and there's a lot of interfacing with other people. Not to say they can't do it, but it can be very draining on them. An extrovert, on the other hand, is going to get very bored, be very drained and have difficulty getting motivated and enthusiastic if they are unable to interact with other people. They need to be on teams. They need to be talking with people and working in a group. Sensors and intuitors. This this is your detail-oriented versus your big picture. And when I used to work uh, in, in behavioral health centers, I used to write a lot of grants. I am a big picture person. I like to envision. I like to create programs. But all of the details... Can get a little bit cumbersome. I'm the type of person when I watch a movie, I've got to read the overview first because I need to have an idea what the envelope looks like. When I put together a puzzle, I look at the box. I put together the border first. It's just one of those things that I kind of have to do. And then I fill in the pieces. Sensors, on the other hand, tend to go from the bottom up. They can start with the facts, and they're more inclined to pay attention to those and miss the big picture. You need both types. Your sensors are going to be your people who write a lot of your operating procedures. They're going to be the people who sometimes are in human resources. They're definitely going to be the people in your billing and quality assurance departments. Intuitors, your dreamers, are going to be sprinkled in throughout different places. A lot of times managers tend to be more big picture focused. Thinking and feeling. Now this is how people get motivated. Thinkers tend to be motivated by facts. So if you want somebody to get something done, you need to tell them how it makes sense. How is it logical uh, that this is going to happen? Why is it logical that this change in the organization needs to take place? Feelers, on the other hand, are more motivated by harmony. How is it going to help things work more efficiently, more smoothly? How is it going to make everybody feel less stressed and happier at the organization? So feelers are more heart motivated. Thinkers are more mind motivated. Both of them experience things equally as intensely, but they are motivated by different aspects of situations. When you're trying to help motivate people, it's important to know if they are more heart or head motivated. And finally, judging and perceiving. Just in general, this tends to be more time management. Judgers tend to like to have structure. They tend to make choices. They have time limits, you know, they are the people who are, um, setting the schedules. Perceivers always think there's plenty of time. They tend to like to be more spontaneous. They do things based on a burst of energy instead of at seven o'clock every day, this is what we do. We need both because people who tend to be more judging Often are thrown for a loop when the plans go awry. They have difficulty dropping back and punting. Perceivers, on the other hand, get very frustrated and bored and unmotivated with too much repetition and routine. They like having to think on their feet. So you can see how these two uh, temperaments can complement each other in a team or in a workplace. Enhance your communication. Among your team, communicate with each other effectively and authentically. Encourage people not to expect mind reading. Encourage people to be more mindful of what they need based on their own temperaments and what is needed at the organization. And to communicate what is it that we might be able to do to improve the situation. People who have... um, Complementary temperaments and complementary skills often work really well together. Once they embrace each other's differences, instead of being critical of one another, they see each other as two, two puzzle pieces that go together really nicely. Enhance your, what I call in this presentation, appreciation languages. Since in general, we're talking about organizations and groups, um, I'm not using the word love languages, but that's really what we're talking about, our love languages. Now, in the workplace, the love language of touch is not going to be one that generally you're going to employ. But the other four, definitely. Acts of service are huge. Pitching in when your team needs something shows them that you are not above go you know getting your hands dirty that supervisor that i told you about you know he was a vice president of our organization but he would do a urine screen anytime that somebody needed him to because there wasn't always another male there to in order to do the urine screen so it wasn't uncommon For him, in his three-piece suit, to be standing in the bathroom observing a urine screen, Um, he was not above doing that. Um, As a supervisor, you know, I would sometimes have to do urine drops on the females, or obviously this was in a substance abuse treatment facility, uh, but I would also pitch in and do groups occasionally, or if there was a client in crisis and their, their therapist was doing something else... I would see the person an individual. Was it technically part of my job description? No, but it was what was needed for the mission of the organization and to help everybody else out. So it's important to recognize uh, what is it people need. And collaboration is another act of service. I perceive it that way because it's involving people and asking them. How can we work together? How can I best help you out? And with my staff, one of the departments I had was a residential program. And the clients would regularly go to their doors and need things. And being compassionate people that they were, they would respond. Well, that's great. But they weren't getting their documentation done. And they weren't getting prepared for group. And other things that needed to be done weren't getting done. So I sat down with the team and I said, okay, I recognize what you're doing and I see, you know, it's coming from this, this place of concern and caring for the clients. And it's one way that's helping you meet your personal mission, whereas some of these other things aren't directly helping you meet your personal mission, but they need to be done so we can keep the doors open. So what can we do? in order to make it easier for you to be able to get your work done. And, and again, generally it came down to documentation. And with the residential crew, one of the things that uh, strategies we implemented was having a quiet period each day after lunch where the clients were supervised by uh, milieu monitors and the clinicians were able to shut their office doors And get their paperwork done. So they knew they had two hours every single afternoon in order to get their paperwork done. They were not supposed to schedule anything in the meantime. There was always one person that was the clinician on call if there was an emergency. So if somebody needed an individual session or was decompensating in some way, they could um, obviously see a clinician. But... The people who weren't the clinician on call knew that they had that two hours of uninterrupted time. People will have their own suggestions for each one of these appreciation or love languages. And it's important to solicit feedback from them about what does an act of service look like? What could I do to help you? Quality time is another one that we don't think about a lot in the organization, but mentorship is huge. When a supervisor or a colleague takes time out to mentor you, to help you grow, it means a lot. Um, I had multiple mentors at the, the first place I worked. I worked there for 14 years. So, you know, over time I had multiple mentors who sometimes were supervisors, sometimes were colleagues, um, that helped me grow and become a, the clinician that I wanted to be, that helped me grow and become the supervisor ultimately that I became. But they willingly gave of their time, which told me that they cared enough. They respected uh, the work that I did because they weren't told they had to do it. They actually, they would spend quality time. My supervisor when we would have weekly supervision. He would schedule the time and he always showed up. I know there were other supervisors that would be like, well, catch me in the hallway if you can. Well, that tells the supervisee that, you know, everything else is more important than providing, sitting down and giving you quality time. So it's important to schedule in that quality time, provide mentorship and supervision. Words of affirmation are huge and it doesn't have to be big it doesn't have to be a a prize it doesn't have to be a trophy Um, simply putting a a sticky note on somebody's computer or leaving them a voicemail message or text message uh, giving them feedback on some of the work that they've done letting them know that you notice and even nominating them um Or sending some of their work up the chain. So people who are in C-level positions um, can recognize them, can be helpful. And finally, gifts. Now, again, gifts are a little bit different in the workplace. You're not going to be buying each other gifts just randomly. um, But you can create token economies. The person who gets the most um, stars... On the chart, I know they do this in retail a lot, Uh, over the course of the month, we'll get the uh, employee of the month parking space and these different benefits. So token economies can work. Something that people are motivated for, and you have to know what motivates your staff. If they're not motivated for it, if they're looking at it going, why do I care about having a parking spot? Then they're not going to do what's necessary to try to achieve it. So let's look at some more discussion prompts. What activities at work fit with your temperament and which ones don't? Not to say that you can avoid the ones that don't, but recognizing these are the things I really like doing that fit, that feel good to me. And these are the ones that don't exactly fit. The ones that don't exactly fit, you may look at and say, okay, how could I make this fit my temperament a little bit better so it's less Honorous. How do your skills and temperament benefit the organization? Each person needs to step back and take a look at themselves and say, okay, in what way am I essential to the organization? How am I beneficial? Regarding your work tasks, what are your weaknesses? Recognizing your weaknesses, like I said, with grant writing, I am the big picture person, but I have difficulty with some of the details and I will, you know, overlook omissions when I'm editing my own work. You know, sometimes I will overlook spelling errors, those sorts of things. And so it's important for me to have someone who's detail oriented to work, to work with that can kind of go behind me. Um, But those detail oriented people have difficulty getting the big picture so we work well together who on your team complements your skills you know who is it that you can work with that can help you know be that other piece of the puzzle and finally rank your appreciation languages in order of importance and give examples of each so for you what would acts of service look like for you what would quality time look like Etc. And then what we did at my organizations is we collected these so the supervisor knew what those things looked like for different people. Um, but we also created a spreadsheet so each person in the department knew every other person's appreciation languages and was able to communicate with them more effectively. Next, let's talk about motivation and readiness for change. Um, Readiness for change is something that was presented by Prochaska and DiClemente um, in response to or as a means of conceptualizing people's readiness for substance abuse treatment. But it applies pretty much to any behavior change. So in terms of readiness, there are several stages. Pre-contemplation is when the person doesn't think there's a problem or is not even considering a change. They could be reluctant to do it. Because they don't know how, you know, it's scary to them. They could be rebellious. They don't, they're not going to make a change because you told them to. So we want to look at where that rebellion is coming from. A lot of times that's a reaction to them feeling disempowered. So instead of telling them to do something, how can you motivate them to want to do it? And the resigned pre-contemplator may have tried to make the change before or do it before and failed. So they don't want to try again. The next phase is contemplation. And this is when people are starting to think about making a change. And in order for people to get motivated to make a change, they need to understand how it benefits them. How will it make them feel physically better? more energetic less anxious (coughs) they also need to examine how it's going to help them feel better in their environment Um, and we're going to talk about these dimensions a little bit more when we get over to dimensions the next phase is preparation once they've come to the idea or recognition that something needs to be done then they may start thinking Preparing to make a change by thinking about, okay, what are my options? The stage that we want people to be in is the action stage. And that occurs after they have the confidence that it can be done and they recognize that it needs to be done. They have figured out how they want to go about doing it and they're motivated and ready to go. After they do these things, or once you've got them doing it, like they are regularly getting their paperwork done or regularly meeting their sales goals that's awesome but it needs to be maintained so it's important that we don't just let it go by the wayside and say okay well you did it great keep on there needs to be continual reinforcement recognition rewards otherwise you're going to end up with relapse or behavior strain when people aren't getting enough rewards then they may fall back into old behaviors because they think, you know, why is it worth the effort? So the dimensions of motivation we want to think about here are physical. How can it make this person feel better physically? How can it improve their sleep? How can it give them more energy? Um, Now at work, this may not be a hundred percent applicable, but a lot of times as people's anxiety goes down, their energy goes up, their pain levels go down, their immunity improves, their sleep improves. So a lot of things physically change when they are feeling better emotionally. So the affective dimension, how could doing this help you feel better? How could it help you feel excited, enthusiastic, curious? Cognitively, how does making this change or doing what you're being asked to do make sense? How is it logical? Environmentally, and this includes things like things you can buy or vacations you can go on, but environmentally, how will your environment at work and at home or at work and, or at home improve if you start doing what's being asked of you? And relationally. How will it improve your relationships with your colleagues, with your customers, with your supervisors, and maybe even with your family, if you're not coming home in a bad mood all the time, if you start doing these things that you're being asked to do? So how can we encourage people to move through the stages of readiness for change? Well, provide feedback, both positive and negative. You want to provide feedback, or I should say both positive and constructive. Provide feedback to them about why they're important, why whatever you're asking them to do is important, and exactly what needs to be done. That way they aren't confused. They aren't reluctant to get started because they don't feel like they know how to do it. And provide constructive feedback. You know, if you're ameliorating a bad situation, maybe their sales numbers haven't been good or they're not getting their documentation done, well, that's got to come out. But we want to provide feedback about why that change is important. Why is it important to meet your sales goals? Why is it important to get your documentation done? Put the responsibility for change on that person's shoulders, empower them to make the choice of about whether they're going to change or not. Give them advice and a menu of options for how they they might be able to make this change or get these things done. And this can include mentorship or coaching. Empathize with them about how this change might be scary or exhausting or frustrating. And make sure to provide plenty of support while you're getting them to make that change. And, and when I'm talking about making a change, you know, it can be just motivating people to get more enthusiastic, to work harder, to accomplish a goal. But we need to provide this information, provide empathy, and provide support to them while they're doing this task, while they're working harder in order to help maintain their motivation. A discussion prompt for each thing you need to work on. Identify your level of readiness for change. Do you see it as a problem? Do you know what you're going to do to work on it? Are you ready to actually start taking steps? Identify your pacer motivations, that is your physical, your affective, cognitive, environmental, and relational motivations, and brainstorm options for how to get this task done. So how can we increase our sales goals this month? How can we, or our sales this month, how can we improve our documentation? How can we get ready for this audit that's coming up? Whatever it is, brainstorm options and then choose the best option to to accomplish that goal and then unite to accomplish that goal. Finally, think before you speak. Sometimes supervisors parents, leaders can be overly critical. And it's important for us to recognize the need to pick our battles, so to speak. Think stands for be truthful, helpful, inspirational, only say what's necessary and be kind. So how does this work in terms of supervision? Well, being truthful in the situation, make sure you know the facts. If my, one of my Employees is not getting their paperwork done. Okay, that's a fact, but what are all of the facts? What's keeping the person from getting their paperwork done? So it's important for me to understand the big picture. What are the facts in the entire situation? uh, And talk with them about those facts. It's important that when I say something, you know, if I've got to provide constructive feedback, I need to say it in a way that is as supportive as possible. How can I present this in a way that's helpful? So instead of going up to somebody and saying, you're not meeting your goals, you need to, you know, get on it, approaching them and saying, I've noticed that over the past few weeks you're, you've steadily been making less sales, for example. Um, And I'd like to know, you know, what might be contributing to that. Let's talk about what's going on. So that's the truthful part because I want to be able to help you achieve your goals. How can I help you get back to where you were three weeks ago? Or how can I help you improve your, your skills at this? So being helpful is important. Helping them see why doing what you need them to do, why getting motivated for this task is important, you know, how is it helpful to them in achieving their goals and mission? If they want to get promoted, if they want to help others, um, why is it important that they do this? If you're training them on a new skill set, why is it important for them to learn that skill set? And how will it help them meet their personal mission and personal goals? Say it in a way that's inspirational or motivating. Instead of one that's a threat, you know, do this or else. How can you say what you need to say in a way that encourages them to do better, to grow, to get more motivated? And, And you want to inspire them. Acknowledge what they're doing. Acknowledge their challenges, maybe, and identify where you see them going. You know, how you see that they have so much potential. Pick your battles. And that's where necessary comes in. Some things are not necessary. Maybe they're not doing something exactly the way you want them to do it, but it's getting the job done. So is it necessary to be critical of that? And finally, if it's something that has to be said, and this kind of goes back with helpful and inspirational, say it as kindly as possible. Most people, most people don't like getting constructive feedback. Most people do not like criticism. So presenting the information as kindly as possible where the person doesn't feel like they're being rejected or they're being threatened in some way, can be really helpful. Make sure when you say it, you're being kind in your words, not handing somebody their report back and saying, this is a piece of junk. You know, that's, that's not helpful or kind. Um, so saying it as kindly as possible, giving them objective feedback about what they could do to improve. Pay attention to your nonverbals. You know, being open, being accepting, instead of towering over somebody, um, or sitting with a closed-off posture, can be very helpful. And do it in a way that is kind, instead of calling somebody out in the middle of a a team meeting, bringing them into your office, and saying something to them in private uh, is also a much kinder way of doing it than, you know, some others. So think of a situation in which you need to provide corrective feedback to somebody, or you need to motivate them to do something that they're not currently doing. Write down how you would normally say it, and then rewrite it using the think strategy. No two people are motivated in exactly the same way. By understanding people's temperaments, their appreciation or their love languages, and their threat triggers, it's easier for managers, teachers, group leaders, and even heads of household to motivate their groups. Using the FRAMES approach, feedback, responsibility, advice, menu of options, encouragement, and support, managers can more effectively motivate their teams. For more in-depth resources on some of the things we talked about, you can go to allceus.com/temperament, and you can watch some videos that go much more in depth on the differences in people's temperaments and how to help them work together, as well as blind spots in each type of temperament. You can go to allceus.com/frames to learn more about motivational enhancement. And allceus.com slash T-I-C dash supervision to learn more about how trauma impacts your employees and how you can supervise or provide um, oversight from a trauma-informed perspective.